Hello to our listeners and welcome to TNT ESQ. Along with my co-host, Reese Thomas, I'm Teresa Quinlan. We make up TNT. For those of you that don't know, it's our name, Thomas and Teresa. We're here to explode the status quo, because this series is all about talking with people who are helping us to think differently, so we can start doing differently. Joining us today is Nick Davis. We often get our guests to write a long bio, and we love it when they share all their their highs and their lows, their achievements. No one has done it so succinctly or quite so brilliantly. It's only just over two lines, and I think it tells us everything. So I'm just going to read it for you. Who is Nick? Nick is a mum, a writer, a transformation consultant, an all-round eccentric, doing her own thing in her own way in the hope that so you can make others smile and love themselves a little bit more. Brilliant. Welcome, Nick, to the show. Uh, thank you very much. And thank you very much for asking me to come on. It's a real pleasure. Thank you. We love people that like to do things their own way. <laughs> yes. Including <laughs> the status quo. That's yeah. what the show's about. So perfect. So you mentioned there your transformation consultant. We had a little chat before we hit record. As you know, we always like to start off with a question, you know, tell us about your passion, your obsession in a good way how that came to be so important, the driving factor, whether it's your purpose or whether it's just your passion. Um, so tell us a bit about how transformation itself became such an important part of your life and, and why it is the, the main focus for, for the work you do now. It's really interesting, having spent such a huge part of my career in transformation, you know, on a daily basis, turning up to work in rapidly changing environments you know I could be on a project in one part of the the world on a Friday and then I could be somewhere else on the Monday morning you have this I think false perception that you really understand transformation and everything that it entails and it's only now looking back that I think to myself yeah I really understood the textbook of transformation and I really understood the methodologies and the tools that we use and you know I had the right CV and I'd done the big projects but it was kind of looking back now it was almost a little bit superficial because I think for me it was only when I had more personal transformations that I really started to understand what it really means for people and that the processes and the procedures and all of that is fantastic but ultimately people choose to change people choose to make that transformation work or not and the best example I can use is the number of times I've been in organizations and all of the money uh, and the resources that we're putting into getting a new system in place or whatever it is we, we do. And you may be doing some process mapping and you say, well, why did you do that? And they would say, well, the things broke. So we do a workaround. Well, the workarounds change. Now, in order for the person to do their job, they have created, they've innovated their own workaround. They haven't had any budget. They didn't have any sign off. And they just got on and implemented it and done it. And millions of people do that in millions of places every single day of their life because that's what they need to do to make the thing work. And then you've got all of these humongous transformation projects and we're putting all of this motivation and resources in to make these things happen. And there's something underlying, some foundations that are missing because for transformation to really work, it's kind of self-propelling. People have got to choose to be on that train with you. And if it's self-propelling and you can really engage them, then you're home and dry. And, and actually, they're going to they're deliver something far beyond any business case you put together at the start. But, and they, were, they would do stuff they didn't even know they had the potential to do. But I only really started to click, I think, about the deeper stuff around it when 
And there's no point me saying that I'm this really courageous person that, you know, stepped out and decided to make these decisions and, you know, challenge the status quo. Uh, basically, I got postnatal depression. So I was cracking on, trying to, to do it all, trying to run a business, build a business. You know, I started building a business. I literally, I left my corporate job uh, the day before I got married. And then straight afterwards, I started building a business. And I thought it'd be a good idea at the same time to give birth to two children. You know, it's ridiculous looking at it, 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 it now, what I used to be doing, you know, trying to totter around eight and a half months pregnant in heels mm. and find some jacket that I could wear so I could go to a meeting and trying to do all of that because that's what I did. That's who I was. Circumstances. I, I think there's something in the universe that, you know, it does give you messages and you have a choice about whether you can hear those messages or not. And if you don't, it kind of gives you a bit of a slap. And really, I think that's the best way of describing what happened to me is I think after my third child, I just got a bit of a slap and things started slipping away. You know, the motivation to, to get out of bed and go to work just, just wasn't there. And this was a big deal because, you know, I was running a company, I had people dependent on me. It became really, really difficult. The upshot to it all was it was, it was my husband who actually took me to the doctors and said, you know, you're just not right. I guess other people can see it more than you can see it yourself because it's just a slow decline. You know, each day just becomes a little bit harder and you, you sink a little bit lower, but you, you don't quite notice because it's, it's gradual. And then all of a sudden, that's just how life is. It's just grey. So, yeah, it was forced upon me. And what I did was I just basically stopped doing business development. So I let the business run its natural cycle and it just finished its natural cycle. And we decided as a family that I would take some time out. And that really was the start of a massive personal transformation because my life had been so one-dimensional. Mm. You know, it'd been really focused. You know, I'd gone to school and I knew no matter what, I was going to get myself into university. You know, I was uh, the first in my family to go and I, I was just determined. And when I got out of university, you know, I was determined I was going to get a job as a management consultant. And people say, why do you want to be a management consultant? I'd be like, well, it sounds really sexy, doesn't it? I mean, you know, you get to travel, you don't have to do the same job all the time, you don't have to go to the same office all the time. I'd settled in management consultancy. I, I was just so determined and so focused. And the first job I got, I was 22 years old, and I saw this advert for performance management consultant. Five years experience. I'm like, oh, never mind about five years experience. That's my job. That's my job there. So I wrote a letter to them saying, look, I don't have any of the things that you need. But what I can give you is this instead. And the MD of this firm was just so impressed by my, my courage or my front or whatever it was that he interviewed me. And he actually gave me the job. He actually gave me the job. It was, you know, one of the best five years of my life. The irony was actually he gave me the wings and then obviously I wanted to fly. So, you know, I did move on. But it was a very one-dimensional, very focused. Everything was about, you know, doing as well as possible and delivering transformation on a daily basis. There's something really ironic about the fact that you're there delivering it on a daily basis and you almost keeps you so busy you never really have to look at your own transformation your own journey and then it's forced upon you and mine was forced upon me postnatal depression which made me take stock and take a career break and really look at how I wanted to spend my life what I wanted to do and the type of work I wanted to do I hadn't realized until I stepped back from it how unhappy I'd become and the reason I'd become unhappy was because I'd lost my meaning. Mm. You know, in, in the early days, it was all about, you know, I got that hunger. You know, I got that hunger. I wanted to get somewhere. I wanted to be something. I wanted to make a difference. And I felt like I was doing that. And then somewhere along the way, I had got somewhere. 
And then it had been about generating the sales and creating the money, thinking, how much do I need to sell this month, you know, to make sure that everything's covered? And, you know, we need to be seen to be this turnover. And if I don't hit that turnover, then all of those other consultancies are a thousand times better than me. And therefore, I must be a failure. And there's all this narrative that goes around. You know, there were some really quite dark corners that I had to look in and go, well, why does this matter so much? Why do you have to be seen to be successful? Why can't you make that decision yourself? I still catch myself now. I, I still look at, at people now and, you know, see them juggling families and these wonderful careers and, and think, oh, crikey, you know, I missed the boat. Did I make the wrong decision? But ultimately, I think we're led on the path we need to go on. Because when I got over postnatal depression, I did go back to work. Intermittently, I've been back to work through the past few years. But then, very sadly, my brother-in-law got ill. And then after that, my, my dad sadly got terminal cancer. And I very much wanted to be there. You know, the universe was saying, it's just not time. There are other things. There are other things that you're needed for. There are other purposes that you have in life. But through all of that, I never lost that curiosity and that thirst for intellectual stimulation and questioning and observing. But the thing that it made me do was to actually start observing and looking at myself and looking at what is it that people really need to be able to transform? Because any of us can pretty much do anything if we really set our minds to it. And now I guess I'm coming back in for my second act. This act's really important because it's my, you know, it's, it's not meant to be morbid, but it is my final act. You know, I've got the next part of what I've got maybe 15 more years working in me. So this is my second act I'm coming to. And I want it to be meaningful and I don't want to lose my way. And I want to do transformation that's, and I want to do it in a way that really makes a difference to people where they can really take something from me. I want to create value. I don't want to extract it. I guess that's the fundamental difference. Well, perhaps there's something interesting in looking at first, second, third, fourth, fifth, how many acts we have it really is dependent upon how many transformations we experience. And if we're willing to look and observe into light, sure, you're in your second act. That's not to say there won't be a third or a fourth or a fifth. I mean, foreshadowing what the future holds for us. I think some people have that ability and maybe you all have that ability. <laughs> no, I only have two lined up. <laughs> Personally, I believe that the number of transformations isn't set in life. How deep are we willing to go? That's how many transformations we may have. Yeah, that's a really uh, interesting point. And I, I think not only do we probably not know, it's probably better that we don't know. It's like sometimes if you do too much prep for something, actually you, you ruin it. You take away the innovation, you take away the the creativity, the spark that can come with something, you know, you may miss a turning that might, might come along. So yeah, you, you, you're right. It may be more than one act. There's before and there's next. I guess that's where I am. There's before and there's next. Yes. Yeah, you're here now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I love how you've made transformation your purpose and you're transforming other businesses' lives and you're facilitating people in your company and you were taking on all this thing. You've got children, marriage. But it wasn't until something stopped you that you realized like all these skills and transformation that I've been putting out into the universe, I now need to turn back inside to me. And it was only then that you were able to keep hold of the things that were really important to you, but also let go of the things that were causing you the stress and the disease. And I'm interested to know what the new transformation means to you, because you talked about, you know, all the methodologies, the textbooks, all these kind of stuff which some people are still really important, still really value. But for me, you know, I call myself a transformation guide sometimes as well. And people love it, but they're like, well, what's it going to mean? What's the end product? I'm like, well, 
it really depends on you. You know, I, I don't have a program of, you know, do this every week and this is the result. I need to get to know you and together we'll create this space and understand where you are on your path. An individual solution, solution that doesn't sound right, but you know, a, an original uh, discovery and a unique answer. Transformation in the past was corporate, big four, textbooks, methodologies. What's transformation like today if I'm working with you on a personal basis or I've got a small company, I need someone with your pizzazz to uh, come and jazz things up. <laughs> to jazz things up, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think it's interesting because I think we've got to get through the complex to the simple. You know, we've made our industry so complex, it's unbelievable. For anybody to really be able to buy into it, it's got to matter. It's got to be a cause. It's got to be a good reason. There's almost three things. You've got the individual You've got the teams and then you've got the organization. And we've always talked about you know, organizational transformation and we do you know, A, B, C and D and so forth. And, and the methods do have a part to play because when you're in the middle of a storm, you still need to have a compass. But I think that if we just look at the needs of people, you know, I'm a huge fan, for example, um, of people like Dan Pink, who you know, are really looking into what motivates people and, and, and what drives them. And that's the fuel that drives the engine. So the first thing is, well, what are we giving people to believe in? Why are we doing this? You know, I have seen a lot in my career change for change's sake. Oh, we've got a new CEO coming in. We've got to do a restructure. It has to be for a genuine reason that matters. And I think the biggest thing when you're testing whether it matters, the original definition of capitalism was Adam Smith, Scottish philosopher, which was all about creating value. And he came up with this almost lovely ecosystem of if everybody does their very best to create the very best product or the very best service and always, always, always enables their employees and customer first, you've got this beautiful ecosystem of value creation where everybody wins. And indeed, the owners of the companies were stewards, the trustees. They were there to ensure that this value creation took place and it could be passed on. The employees would get value, therefore they would be happy and they would want to give value to their customers. And that was back a couple of hundred years ago. And it was only really in the 70s that another chap who, you want another peace price, so I really should remember his name. Can I go on a menopause? Um, <laughs> redefined capitalism <laughs> effectively. As, um, <laughs> the bottom line is to make profit for shareholders, which is value extraction. And just like life is a nuance, it's a real nuance that has cost us enormously. And we've gone from a society based on value creation. Well, was it ever based on value creation? We could argue the toss. That's another philosophical discussion. But we have definitely gone to value extraction, which I think has had a, a severe impact, particularly in transformation, because a, a company is moving, a company, just a collection of human beings, human beings, every day of our life is change. Every minute is change because we've moved somewhere else. And all of an organization is, is a collection of others people. So everything is about change. People say, I'm going to do a transformation project. And I kind of almost kind of cringe because I'm like, well, effectively, really, you should be moving somewhere every single day that's the heartbeat that's a business that's alive that's the business that's got people in that give it talked about it i think the starting point has got to be we have got to change for something that fundamentally matters and it's got to be about much more than purely profit that generally doesn't go to the people creating the change it's just not a sustainable model we know it's not sustainable that's why that's why people are so naffed off at work that's why you know nobody's reaching their potential that's why you know, I, I remember when I started work, in, in my first job, the job that I applied for, that I needed five years experience for, that I didn't have, 
I couldn't wait to get in the office. I couldn't wait to get there. And I never wanted to leave. And I, you never had to ask me to do anything, you know, nothing. It wasn't work. It was a passion. It was a purpose. It was a whole way of being. It was a, it was a family. And actually on the day I handed my notice in, both my boss and I cried because it was like I was leaving my second dad. And it's really interesting that, you know, fast forward all of these years when you think we should be more developed and we should be even more sophisticated and we should understand human beings even more. And in a lot of ways, we've stepped back. We have to have a cause bigger than ourselves to believe in. We have to be value creation. Right. It would only be valuable if one of the driving internal levers was associated with dollar and money. And for some people, absolutely it is. It's one of their internal levers is monetary is financial and so if, if that's on the table for them it's an internal lever that gets pulled it's just that people have more than one lever internally exactly. exactly the more you want to get value production out of people hitting their potential so on and so forth is for as many of those levers to be internally pulled as possible and you did something in that first job that i think is important for our listeners and maybe even our younger listeners or people going through transformation and looking for their next thing this is where i also think that workplaces have some work to do in their recruitment and hiring process is that you saw the job and went oh screw those credentials i don't have them but i have what this job needs i intuitively have something internally i'm driven towards this but i also know i've got these things and i'm just going to prove it to them that i that i have them and i can do this kind of job and so you owned that and went forward with it and they saw it and went okay let's honor that and give it a shot and in workplaces right now, sometimes we're just looking for the wrong things and people will come giving the answers they think they're supposed to get yeah. or give. And now we have both people arriving in the workplace going, I'm trying to extract value out of it, but you're not giving me all of your value. And you're like, I don't really want to give my value here. <laughs> we're going to like, uh, yeah. Why we're in an environment where people, number one, don't feel like they're recognized and cared for. And number two, don't want to give their best anyways. And so it's both parties are responsible for the shithole we tend to find ourselves in. Whereas if both people go, oh, this is the part I'm responsible for, then I can come and contribute the part I'm responsible for. Absolutely. You can't expect people to be creative and to give you all that they have and to feel safe enough to try things out and to come up with something from left base if they don't feel that they really matter. So it's not just that the change needs to matter. The people need to matter. And the part they play in the change needs to matter. Profit is important, but it is not the most important thing. And, and the irony is when you make it the most important thing, it's the hardest thing to achieve. When you reverse that, and this is the irony of all of it, because actually uh, where I've seen the best budgeting isn't when the budgeting is being forced on the teams, it's when the teams have done their own budgeting and then we also have the responsibilities and the freedom to come up with ideas. And so there's so many things mixed in there, aren't there? But I think the fundamentals, yes, of course, profit matters, of course, money matters. But it, what really matters is the value it creates. You mentioned the phrase right at the start before we hit record and just hearing about you talk about your experiences, your transformation. But you keep going back to this amazing leader boss who, who helped shape you and he had a relationship, as you said, like a father. And, it, and when you talked about that experience of you know never admonishing you never saying you failed never you did this it was more a case of let's work together and i can just picturing like the dad sitting down with their child and working through you know where they went wrong and then see what can do and not a kind of 
blame or anything like that. So the phrase you said at the start, people don't understand the humanness of the work. And it was only when you can kind of bring that humanness into what you're doing that you really kind of felt you found that new breath of life into this new transformation act to could begin. Can you tell us a bit more about that, the humanness and, and how you can engage with that as a leader? Because I think the leader has to connect and all the examples are all about not a big scale, it's just a micro thing, you know, an individual thing, making that person feel like they count and listening to them and involving them. That's spot on. And what I would say is, I think in my first act, looking back, I think that would be a big development area for me because I had very high standards because I didn't understand why you might not have those high standards because my, my life had been pretty peachy, really. I'd set myself a plan and I had got on and I have been described for as a force of nature. And I think that's probably what I am. When I set my mind, my mum would always say that. She would say, even at two years old, I didn't, I just gave up trying to put the dress on you if you didn't want to wear it because I knew it wasn't going to happen. You were just always so determined. You, you know, once you'd made your mind up about something, that was it. But it meant that I could probably be unforgiving, perhaps not really understand people and be able to work with them and support them to bring out their potential and empower them to do much more, which actually made my life a lot harder because I had still a lot more to work. Mm-hmm. Now, why can't we get the people? Hang on a minute. Just look at that phrase. Why can't, why can't you get the people? Well, hang on. Is it about the people or is it about me? And one way I could say, you know, it, it went off course. It went off the course that I perceived it was to be on. It perhaps was always meant to be on that course. It didn't go quite as I had in my little plan. Postnatal depression was the start. And what hit me at the time was when I went to the doctor, I almost couldn't tell him. I almost couldn't get the words out to actually explain how it felt because I thought I was the only person in the world. Look, I'm whispering it to you now, even though this is being recorded and shared with everybody just in case somebody finds out. How powerful that stigma is. Yes. And, and it wasn't just the person having depression. It was, you know, not coping with work or cocking up at work or not having got something right. And I think there was something about learning to be a bit messier and embrace my own human messiness. And I decided very early on when I got post depression, when I was in that doctor's surgery, I thought, Christ, I'm not having this. I am not carrying shame on top of everything else because quite frankly, I haven't got any space left. Enough. And I came out of that doctor's and I was very upfront. Yes, I have post depression. I am not in a great place. I am not managing. I am not coping. I had a brilliant doctor. I was very upfront about the fact I took antidepressants. I have no opinion what anybody else should do. I think that's between you and the GP. That is absolutely a very personal decision. I made the right decision for me. And I decided there and then I was not going to hide my messiness anymore, not ever again, because it's, it's too hard. It feels horrible. I couldn't fight it if I tried. I'm really good at making stuff happen. So if I can't make stuff happen, it ain't going to happen. So I need to stop fighting this battle. And embrace the fact that just some stuff that I am finding a challenge. There is too much change going on at too much of a pace. And I am overwhelmed by it. And my, my brain's just saying, no, no, stop, stop. I'm withdrawing because I'm just getting hit more size and I can't cope with it. And that enabled me, I think, to be a much kinder and more compassionate person to others. Because power of being prolifically open about anything in the public domain i don't want secrets or things that aren't mainstream or things that are still got prejudice and stigma about to hold power well they can't hold power can they if i take control of my own my story 
beautiful thing about it is the number of people, they said, oh, you know, it's, it's brilliant because I felt like that and I thought it was just me. I thought there was something wrong with me. This is the perfect time for us to hashtag not anymore. So we have a great friend, Helen Amory, who in her episode of TNTSQ spoke about the foundation for many people and where they're stuck is the not enough syndrome. I'm not, I'm not tall enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not worthy enough. I'm not loving. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. And transformation requires that we stop or disrupt that thinking. You coined it as what I decided was to embrace the messiness of who I am as a human being, because kind of turns out human beings are messy. As a leader, I used to say the first piece of advice that I give other leaders is humans are messy, be ready for that. Because <laughs> as a leader, that needs to be your best friend. You have to understand that about people, it makes it so much easier. <laughs> for our listeners, the golden nugget that I'm hoping maybe you can give them, and maybe it's a personal share, is what's the first step that people can take in beginning that transformation of how do I embrace my messiness? For me, and it doesn't matter what it's been, it's always been, what is the next best step? Because years and years and years ago, Ralph, Ralph Baines, uh, the, the mountaineer, he used the analogy of the mountain, and that you always just look at the step ahead of you, you never look mm -hmm. at the top of the mountain. Because if you did, you would never climb it. No matter how difficult and challenging, or indeed how exciting and joyous, you know, it, it works either way. I think the minute I gave myself a break, stopped self-flagellating and telling myself had to be this and all the rest of it, and gave myself permission to say, I'm having a shit day today, I'm having a good day today, whatever day, what is the next best step? Now that next best step might be getting out of bed. That next best step might not be getting out of bed. It doesn't matter what it is. It's just the next best. And believe me, the next best step in lockdown, when I had three kids at home being homeschooled, was just make a cup of tea, Nick. Just make a cup of tea. Lovely. And let's just see where we go. <laughs> Thank you for that, Nick. That's a great tip for our, our audience and our listeners to take with them straight away. Now, listen, people are going to want to be in touch with you and want to know what's on the horizon for and with you. So can you share? How can people get in touch with you and what's coming up? I'm fairly prolific on social media, so you can find me on LinkedIn or Facebook. It's Nick Davis, which is N-I-K, and there's no E in the Davis. Uh, on my website, which has everything on, everything bar the kitchen sink, and it may have that soon, which is www.nickdavis.com, which is N-I-K-D-A-V-I-S. In terms of what's next, I would like to go and spend some time delivering some large-scale transformations and rather than being in a transitioning phase, which is where I think I've been for the last couple of years, do some meteor transformations where I can, I can work more because now I have more time to be able to do so and I would like to. <clears throat> exactly. Oh, lovely. Well, that's great. Thank you for sharing those things, Nick. Now, we like to end our conversations with a little fun, a rapid-fire Q&A. 10 statements, two choices, interpret them as suits you. Are you ready? Yes. Okay, manager or leader? Leader. Active or reactive? Active. Black and white or gray? Gray. Optimist or realist? Optimist. Canada or England? <laughs> England. Heart or head? 
Halt. Empathy or assertiveness? Empathy. Introvert or extrovert? Uh, extrovert. I can't mm -hmm. lie. <laughs> Logical or emotional? Oh, emotional. And innovation or process? Innovation. Now I'm curious, and I've not asked this question of any guests before. How did you go about interpreting the question? Uh, I went with the majority. So for example, when you said logical or what was the one I chose? Emotional. Yeah, logical, emotional. I just went with, well, obviously I'm really logical at times just because of the nature of you know, business solving and so forth. But honestly, my lead is emotion. Mm. So I just went with the lead. So I didn't agonize over, well, hmm, it could be both. Well, yeah, of course, all of them are both. Yes. But what's the leader? What is the majority? That's great. I love it. Look, full transparency. <laughs> I have no stickle or judgment over how you went about doing it. Just curious as to how did you go about answering? Well, you see, and I was so relieved you didn't ask me gin or wine because I couldn't have chosen. I'm just like, both? Can we, can, can we just do both? It's sometimes to go both, both, both for all 10. <laughs> That's what I do much for choosing instead of going straight down the middle we appreciate loved having you as a as a guest loved hearing your story and your tidbit and the journey and the transformation thank you so much for sharing all of that yeah i really appreciate you being so open so open-hearted completely transparent as you said you shared that story and i'm sure everyone listening to it can relate to at least one part of that you know, you were saying that we've kind of been told to have these feelings and to behave this way and to act this way and talk this way. And it's only when we start to let go of all of those things and really connect with who we really are, our true self, that we can become the leader, the mum, the, the team member, whatever it is that you always meant to be. And you talked about being on a path that you had envisioned for yourself and then life threw a few things in the way. And I like that you were open to think that, well, perhaps that was never really the real path and now I'm on the right path. So I hope that that's true. And I'm reminded of something someone told me that, you know, we were talking about the mess and they said, well, look, the way to connect with people is to just embrace that mess and, and remember that you, your mess is the message. So that was, I just want to share that. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you very much. We love to hear all of your feedback here on TNT ESQ. So if you've enjoyed this show, you've learned something, you've been inspired, please share it with your friends. Please rate the show. Please write a review on whichever podcast uh, platform you enjoyed it on to help us spread the word, help more people think differently and more people start doing differently. Thank you.